Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. So thankful for God's truth this morning. Um, It comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your truth that endures, that is unchanging, that it applies to anything we have going on in our lives today, just as it did yesterday, and just as it will tomorrow, Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here and we can feel your presence. Would you continue to use your word um, to speak to our hearts, God? Help us to let go of the things we're holding on to and continue to trust you um, with all of the things, God. We love you and we thank you for this time to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Deep in the South African wild, the black mamba snake is one of the deadliest in the world. The snake's fangs act like a hypodermic needle, injecting venom quickly and efficiently. It only takes two drops of venom to spread toxic poison throughout the bloodstream. Luckily, if you act quickly, there is a cure and you can survive. First, a tourniquet is used to stop the spread of the poison through the body. Next, oxygen and respiratory support is given because the heart and lungs are weakened from the spread of toxins. Finally, the antidote to the venom is injected directly into the bloodstream to neutralize and eventually overcome the poison that is being spread. Now, while few of us will actually ever encounter a black mamba, maybe even more dangerous are the toxins we encounter every day. Navigating our current reality can feel like a dangerous and terrifying jungle full of snakes ready to bite. Good news is that while deadly, there is actually a cure to everything toxic in our lives. An antidote within our reach that will restore health and vibrancy to our minds and hearts. Just like treating a deadly mamba bite, we can cut off the poison of polarization that is penetrating our souls by turning away from sin and towards the cure of forgiveness. When our bodies and souls are shutting down under the stress of daily life, we can fill our lungs with life-sustaining support from the Bible, the Word of God. And when it feels like our broken hearts will never heal and there is no hope, we can inject ourselves with the truth of God, the antidote that will neutralize the poison affecting our entire world. All right, well, what's up, City Lines Church? How y'all doing? Uh, If those of you that are new, my name is Nathan. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. Hey, before we jump in, will you join me in welcoming those that are watching on Facebook right now? What's up, Facebook? Good to see you guys. 
Type in the chat where you're watching from. It's always fun to see where people are watching. And so, listen, guys, today's a great Sunday to be here. I mean, I say that every Sunday because I think every Sunday is a great Sunday to be here. But uh, we are wrapping up our series, Overcoming a Toxic World. How many of you guys are like, yeah, our world's a little toxic? You guys ever feel that way? Uh, yeah, a lot of hands going up there. And so we've been talking about that the past couple of weeks. Last week, uh, Jamie Sanders came up here and kind of shared about toxic pride and how to find the antidote of that and how we can apply that. That was a phenomenal message, uh, learning about that. And so today we're going to be wrapping up our series. But listen, before we do that, uh, I want to encourage you guys to come out next week because we have a very special Sunday. It's what we call our Vision Sunday. And so, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about extending the table. Many of you guys remember we talked about that, like how are we extending the table? How are we kind of opening up our doors uh, uh, wider? And so I want to report back to you and kind of what we've been doing and what that looks like, you know, talking a little bit about YouTube and some other things as well, but also share with you what the vision is for Christmas as the to the end of the year. So I want to share that with you. I'm really excited about it. So please make sure you either come in person or watch online. We definitely want to share that. And that's going to be next week, Sunday, November 28th. So please, please don't miss that. Make every effort to uh, be with us. But before we do that, hey, we want to wrap up our series by talking about toxic shame. Now, honest question here. You don't have to, you know, how many of you have ever done or said something that you're ashamed of? You're like, yeah, I did this. Okay. Now turn to the person next to you and tell them what that was. Just kidding. Some of you are like, actually, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You can type it out line, online if you want. <laughs> but you know, I think all of us know, like, you don't really need a definition of what shame is. In fact, it's probably a universal. Everyone knows what shame feels like. We've all experienced it in one way, shape, or form. In fact, <coughs> uh, the other day I was thinking about this. Uh, one of the most vivid memories of shame I have was in high school. There was this girl that I liked, and I thought, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to give her my favorite stuffed animal. You're right, high school, folks. Favorite stuffed animal, high school. So, because I'm thinking, she'll see how sensitive I am, how suave I am. And so anyway, I give her this stuffed animal, and she's kind of like, uh, thank you? Like, what, what is this? And then literally, as soon as I did it, I was like, what did I just do? I was like, oh my gosh, like I literally like, you know, just I felt the shame, I, my, my cheeks got flushed. I was like, oh my gosh, even to the, even in this moment, I still feel all the same emotions, all that shame is washing up. Like, have you ever felt that way? You, you even go back to that memory and all the feels just come back. And, and there's a reason for that. You see, shame is what people call a neurophysiological event. Meaning it doesn't just impact your brain, it, it actually impacts your entire being, your emotions, your body. You literally feels it. And kind of what we've been talking about in these series, some of these toxins don't just impact our souls and our spirits, but our entire beings. But when it comes to a shame particularly, this has a spiritual foundation, a spiritual root to it. In fact, we're going to take a look at that now. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2 or, or follow along on the screens here. But Genesis 2, it says this, the man and his wife, talking about Adam and Eve, were both naked and they felt no what? They felt no shame. Now notice what it doesn't say. The writer of Genesis doesn't say, you know, they were naked and Adam was happy. It didn't say that. It said, they were naked, and they had no, some of you are like, oh, I got that now. <laughs> but it says they were naked without any shame. And really what that, it's the idea of there was no hiddenness between them. There, there was no separation between them. They could easily see one another as is, and they fully accepted one another fully and completely. 
But all this changes when sin enters the world, and all of a sudden this beautiful picture of love and worth and acceptance gets completely destroyed. In fact, I love what Kurt Thompson says. He's a, he's, he's a psychologist. He says that, that shame is the emotional element of sin. So if you have sin, shame is what often we feel is accompanied with it. And, you know, the first couple realized that they were naked, so what did they do? They grabbed some fig leaves, they tried to cover themselves up the best they could, and when God came to kind of hang out with them like, like he normally would, look how they responded. It says this. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So for the first time ever, humanity hid from God. When God was coming to hang out, they were like, we got to get out of here, which is actually a classic symptom of shame. Shame make, makes us turn away from God, and it makes us turn away from, from one another. And not only that, when God finally confronted them, Adam's like, yo, God, this isn't my fault. This was your fault because you created the woman for me. So Adam is like blaming God, and he's blaming his wife. It's like a twofer. He's like, I'm going to just get rid of this flame completely. And Eve's like, it's not my fault, it's the serpent. You, you see, blame is also a symptom of shame. Because what happens is when we feel shame, we want to discharge that pain and that discomfort. So we blame. We blame other people. And one of the things that we start to see as the scripture story unfolds is that shame becomes very, actually attacks the very fabric of God's good creation. What shame does is it actually disintegrates the connection between our, our body and our emotions. Like, you ever have this happen maybe at work? You share an idea, you share a thought, then all of a sudden people just kind of clobber it. They criticize it, they tear it down. And then all of a sudden you feel like, why, do I, why am I having a hard time getting back into this meeting? Why is my head disconnected? It's because of shame. Shame disconnects us from even what our body is telling us. Not only that, shame disconnects us from one another. You ever had this happen? You're hanging out with some friends, and you're kind of talking, and you share an idea, or, hey, maybe we should go do this, and they just kind of keep talking over you. They kind of ignore you, and you can feel like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't feel so good. And all of a sudden, you feel disconnected from your friends. That's also shame. I think in one way, shape, or form, we've all experienced shame. But I also want to say that there is a difference between guilt and shame. Because sometimes they kind of get, you know, people get con them confused. But there really is a difference between the two. See, what guilt says is this. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Do you see the distinction? You see, guilt actually creates a distance between what was done or what was said versus your own worth and being. In fact, guilt leads to conviction, which actually leads to transformation. In fact, when we can actually deal with our guilt in healthy ways, it actually can, can grow our relationship with God, actually makes us better people. But shame leads to condemnation. And condemnation leads us, just like Adam and Eve did, to isolate. We, we've got to get away. No one's going to understand what I'm feeling. And, and what happens is that we actually start to hide from God. We start to hide from other people. And, and what happens is, is that shame, when we don't tell anyone about what we're feeling, it actually becomes to overwhelm us. You know, uh, and when that happens, shame starts to actually write our story for us. You see, shame is a writer. Shame writes the story of how you need to live your life and how you need to operate and how you need to see the world and how you see yourself. In fact, someone once told me this is their definition of shame. Shame stands for this, should have already mastered everything. Anyone ever feel that way? Man, I should have known better. I should have done better. I should have said something. And what happens is, we feel that shame. 
And if we keep it inside, it actually starts to eat us from the inside out. You know, I experienced this a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, we had Baptism Sunday, and I think many of you guys were here for that. And that was a huge, huge milestone for me because I actually got the chance to baptize my daughter, Sailor, which was awesome. It was, like, incredible. And, you know, during the whole week, you know, like, you know, I really want my kids to have a faith that's their own, a faith that sticks. Like, I don't want them to do anything because, like, you know, their dad's the pastor or anything like that. And so, you know, I was just kind of touching base with her going, hey, are you ready? Do you want to wait? And she's like, no, I'm ready to go. You know, I'm ready to do it. And so, you know, my daughter's like ready and I'm super excited about that. But, you know, it's our, it's like my first baptism here at City Lines Church because, you know, it's my first, you know, first couple months here. And so we have to get our baptismal ready, which we have not used since, like, you know, I don't know, like the 1800s, like it's been a while. And so, you know, we're, we got all these details and folks are getting baptized and we're kind of making sure we have all the things. And so all these details I'm trying to keep track of. And the one detail though that I, I, I missed was letting my family know that my daughter was getting baptized. It's like, oh, did anyone tell mom, dad, and the in-laws, and, and so, you know, it was getting closer to the week, and I go, oh, no, like, I need to let them know, and, you know, I let my mom, and she's like, all right, I'm going to try to come, uh, my dad's, like, in another country, um, both my brother and sister are like, dude, why didn't you tell us earlier, and my in-laws are upset with me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe I dropped the ball, and when this comes, that's when shame comes in, and, and for me, the voice of shame and the stories that shame started to write were things like this, you're 40 years old, you're a pastor. You should be able to handle stuff like this. Like, you're so kind of fixated in all this other stuff, but you didn't remember what was most important? Like, seriously, like, what is wrong with you? Like, how can you even be a good dad? How can you be a good husband or a parent? And, and these voices just kept going and going and going, and I just felt awful. I felt awful. I just felt like I just wasn't meeting expectations. And this is kind of what shame does. It all kind of interacts with us differently. And maybe for you, it's around that idea of perfection. I should, I should have known this already. I should have had this all down by now. I shouldn't be making these mistakes anymore because I should be better. Or, or, or maybe it's because you want to do everything perfectly and not show that you're sweating, right? Like, you know, maybe you're, you're a mom that works. And so for you, you know, you're working and you're, you're fixing breakfast. It's amazing. You're packing awesome lunches and you're going to work. You're killing it at work. You come home and you still have enough energy to, to cook dinner and, and be with the kids and, and be with your spouse. But when you don't feel like you can do that, that shame comes in. And, and for men, you know, our shame is we got to be tough, right? Show no vulnerability. Like we show no weakness. And if we show any weakness or any vulnerability, then there must be something wrong with us. There must be something wrong with me. And the way most Americans deal with shame is we numb it. We numb our shame. And we have all sorts of things that we numb it with. We numb it with alcohol. We may numb our shame with food. We, we numb it with shopping. Maybe we numb it with work. We've worked more. We go into overdrive. Uh, and some of us, we kind of numb our shame with pornography which then in turn makes us want to go back to it because we feel ashamed for going to pornography in that. And we create this shame cycle. By the way, I just want to say that pornography isn't just a guy's issue anymore. It's actually we're seeing more and more women that are actually getting into pornography. And like, I understand this is kind of an awkward thing to bring up in a gathering, but here's why I do this. More and more, the age of people being exposed to pornography is seven or younger. So, we're not talking about in church. I don't know where we can talk about it. But we need to have that awareness that it's there. It's a billion-dollar-a-year industry that literally thrives on shame and exploitation. 
And what happens is, is when we are experiencing shame and we go to numb our shame, and maybe it's going to food, or maybe it's going to booze, or maybe it's going to pornography, it creates this cycle where we go back to it over and over and over again, and it doesn't stop. And like I said, this doesn't just impact our souls. It doesn't just impact our spirits. You know what else it impacts? Our entire bodies. In fact, there's a high correlation with shame and addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, and eating disorders. Shame is literally killing us from the inside out. It's literally destroying us spiritually, physiologically, in all those different places. But I do believe that we can find a cure. We can find a treatment that comes through the gospel, which is why I want to spend a little bit of time looking at Hebrews chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Hebrews 12, and, and kind of as you're turning there, you can also, we'll also keep track of it on the screen here. Now, we don't really know who the author of Hebrews is. Like, the, you know, there's lots of lots of people that think it's different people. Some people say it's Silas. Some people say it's Apollos. But we don't really know. But we do know that he's speaking to a, here, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, and, and this Jewish audience is struggling with some shame. They're struggling with shame because they're Jewish followers of Jesus, and essentially what the rest of the culture is telling them is, you need to get rid of this Jesus stuff. Like, I can't believe you do. Like, what is wrong with you? They're being shamed for following Jesus. And so in the previous chapter, chapter 11, the author talks about what's known as the Hall of Faith. All these incredible believers who took a stand and loved Jesus and loved God, and no matter what the consequences of it, they stayed true. And as he gets to the end of that list, he writes this. He says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of what? Witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Anyone here uh, a runner or done any running? Or maybe you dabbled or you thought about it? Any thinker? Yeah, there you go. I love the light, light, nice and proud hands here. Um, you know, I remember I used to play cross country when I was in high school. And, um, you know... The thing with running is, especially distance running, is you have to keep pace in mind. Like, you can't just run really, really fast throughout the entire race, but you start off a little bit slow, and then you go a little bit faster, and then you get a little bit faster, and then when you get to the end, you just open up, and you just sprint to get to the finish line. So Paul is using this metaphor of a sprinter getting closer to the, the finish line after doing a distance run, and as he's getting there, he's like, hey, this is what you need to do as you get to the end. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Let's all say this together in bold, really loud. Ready, church? One, two, three. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, this is the God that we serve. We serve a God that scorns your shame. Amen? This is a God who hates the shame that you feel when you're struggling and you're looking at stuff that you know you shouldn't be looking at. This is a God that gets angry and hates the fact that you're comparing how your body looks to curated, airbrushed images on Instagram. This is a God that hates the shame that you feel and has come to scorn it. And when we talk about scorning shame, what it means is right-sizes it. It shrinks down shame so you can have a bigger view of Jesus. That's the only way that we can have victory over shame. So he feels shame, or he feels anger at the shame you feel because maybe your marriage failed. He feels angry at the shame you feel. In fact, he scorns it, and he says it's time to have a bigger view of God and a smaller view of shame. So I want to look in this passage. In these two little verses, there's some powerful truth that can help us find victory over shame. And the first is this, is we need to connect to the cloud. 
we need to connect to the cloud. Now, I'm not talking about the data cloud where you have all your pictures and all your data and all your passwords and stuff, but we talk about the great cloud of witnesses that we saw in the chapter four in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, here's the thing is this crowd of, this cloud of believers, it's actually imagery for a crowd. And it's not just believers who came before us, but it's believers who are with us and also those who are about to come after us. This great cloud of witnesses that are there with us. And here's the thing about shame. Remember, one of the things that shame does is it makes us turn away from people. It severs connections from people. It severs connections with God. And so what happens is when you and I are experiencing shame, when we are experiencing that, we actually need to turn to other people. This is one of the only sins that we actually do to get victory over. We need one another. You can't find victory over shame in a solo way. You need other people. In fact, uh, to help me teach this point, because I can't do this alone, I've actually invited my good friend Rebecca Getchen to come up and share some things with us. Can we hear for Rebecca, guys? <laughs> Let me get you a mic, Rebecca, so we can hear you. So you look familiar. Were you just up here? Let me turn this on. Or you can turn it on there. Morning. Awesome. Well, guys, maybe you've, you know, you've seen Rebecca. She's, kind of, she's on our worship team, and she leads us in worship. Do you want to give us a quick bio about a little bit of who you are and kind of what you do? Sure. Yeah, I'm Rebecca. I um, am a mental health worker in um, our area, and I am a mom of these two kids and a wife, Eli. Yeah, what are your kids' names? This they... is Nora and Clint. Oh, they're adorable. <laughs> well, listen, the reason why I want to invite Rebecca on here, because Rebecca is part of that great cloud of believers that can actually help us kind of neutralize the power of shame. Now, because you're a mental health counselor, so, and you also are a believer, and Rebecca, if you have any kind of conversation with Rebecca, she has a great way of kind of integrating kind of the, the best of psychology and the best of theology. You do a really, really skillful job of that. I really enjoy our, our conversations. Uh, in fact, you know, you know, we talked a little about kind of how we redid our YouTube. We actually have a 30-minute conversation, uh, so you're going to get a shortened version of that, but you can actually find it on YouTube. We'll Hopefully actually have shortened. that up this week. What right. was that? Hopefully shortened, right? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it short. But tell us a little bit of, when it comes to shame, what have you seen in your clients? What are some themes that you see that maybe even us in the church can be aware of as we're kind of wrestling with our own kind of shame? I think you touched on um, a lot of them. You talked about eating disorders and just pressures that we put on ourselves. You gave a lot of examples of how they, um, how shame can practically look in our lives. One major area that I work with is post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, um, and seeing a lot of shame around um, people who have experienced trauma um, often specifically in wrongs that have been done to them or um, just the ways that they've maybe responded to traumatic events that they've experienced, there's often a lot of shame around the experience of, of hurt that is especially yeah. trauma. That's good. I want to capture something, Rebecca. Sometimes we experience shame from what other people have done to us. It becomes PTSD. And we actually bring that into our relationships and even into our relationship with God, right? Um, one of the things that, you know, I really appreciate is this whole idea, you know, as being a great cloud that we can't break out of shame on our own. We actually need other people. And as a counselor, and after you've been shared with me this, like a skillful counselor can actually show us how shame has been operating in our lives without us being aware of it. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we sometimes think that if we avoid identifying the shame that's in our lives, then, then we also can avoid 
acting out of that shame. Mm. Um, but that's absolutely not true. Uh, it still impacts our lives. And, and so being able to identify shame often looks like identifying lies that we believe about ourselves and about God. Um, whether, honestly, whether we're a believer or not, shame is sin that we believe about. Or shame is sin that wrong things we believe about God. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you talked a little bit about an example even in your life as you had a skillful counselor kind of bring some of that up for yourself. Do you mind sharing a little bit of that sure. with us? Sure, yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of ways that that's happened. Uh, specifically, uh, an example that I shared with you with a therapist in my life was just feeling a lot of, acting out of a lot of insecurity, feeling defensive, feeling um, unmotivated in ways because I didn't feel capable um, and that was kind of like the symptom at the surface. That was the symptom at the surface. Okay. And as we dug into that, um, I, I, I was able to identify with her help that it had a lot to do with um, a belief about myself that I was created inferior as a female hmm. um, and a belief that God loved men and favored them over women. And that was the lie that, that I would have never said and that nobody would have directly said to me. Can we, can we pause? Because I want to capture this, really. Because this was something, like you said, you grew up in a strong Christian family, loved you. And this was never something they told you or they said explicitly. But this is kind of how the enemy uses shame. He'll sneak something in and we'll buy into it. And then we'll start to filter our experiences from that lie. Would you, would you say that's... Absolutely. And this particular example we see foreshadowed in Genesis 3. Yeah. When we see that there will be enmity. And even at times when I read that, I, I thought that that was the... That curse was, okay, now this is the way the world's supposed to work. Hmm. But that's not what scripture was saying. And it took identifying that misunderstanding and that lie that I was believing to now have to pursue the truth of... That's not actually the way that God intended the world to work um, because he sent Christ and right. he's undoing that curse. And he, he did, in fact, create men and women is his image and he is good and he is loving and doing that. And I had to identify that lie in order to not just identify the truth, but then truly be able to work through with my great cloud of witnesses, work through believing that truth in my core. And that wasn't something that I could just put a blanket on and believe that took that took community that took time that took being redirected to truth mm. I, I love that because i think a couple of things that you brought out there is it took a skilled counselor to even because you could never have articulated that lie about hey this is why i'm being insecure this is why i'm doing x y and z but a skilled counselor was able to bring that to the surface and then you had other believers that could say no that's not true like you're not believing the truth or no you're more than what you think right now who could actually speak truth into your life that's incredible. I really appreciate that. Now, you know, in a, in a, in a room this size and folks that are watching online, I'm sure there's a lot of hesitation about seeing a Christian counselor. Um, if there's someone right now that's here that's maybe they're on the fence, like, I don't know if I should do it, what would you say to them to kind of maybe help them, maybe nudge them towards maybe move that direction? Sure. Um, you know, I think also it depends on, on the hesitance. I think we have hesitance for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, I'll identify a couple of them. Uh, one would be, you know, I, I shouldn't take time to work on myself. Um, hmm. That's selfish or... Um, that's a good lie to identify right there, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We sometimes have to identify the lie a little bit first. Hmm. Um, so, so that's selfish to take that time. And to that, I would say for us to spend time working on understanding ourselves should always point to 
we can say, oh, yeah, I've been hurt, I've been offended, I know I sin. But unless we specifically are able to speak that out loud to somebody who will hear, um, then that's what it takes to, to specifically identify the lies and the shame that, that we're believing in order to more fully understand the grace and the forgiveness of Christ. Mm. If we can deeply and truly and an intimate level know our deep brokenness, then how much more can we understand what we have been saved from and what we have been saved into this yeah. grace by which we now stand. Um, and so I, that is a huge way that I would kind of combat that, that hesitation to go to therapy. And also if it's about the hurts that we've experienced from others, again, being able to deeply identify the full breadth of how we've been wronged for the purpose of being able to then be able to extend the full breadth of forgiveness mm. that Christ has given us. Yeah, that's good. I know also for me, because I've been seeing a counselor, one of the things that was a motivation for me to start doing this was, was oh, my issues could get passed on to my kids and their kids and their kids' kids. And so literally by doing this deep work of inviting Jesus to come and do a deeper work of healing of that brokenness, I'm actually redirecting generations. And, you know, Scripture talks a lot about that. Maybe, um, maybe. She's going to preach. Come yeah. on now, bring it. <laughs> no, no, seriously, though. Like, I would love to study this on a deeper level. I think there's a lot of huge theological um, implication about what you just said mm. in that sin is generational. Not just the sin that we commit being passed on, but the hurt that we've experienced, the trauma that our parents experienced. Symptoms of that can be passed on for generations because yeah. this is a fallen world and we've, we've been shown multiple times in scripture. We see it, Abraham's line is a, a wonderful example of how um, this deep sin and hurt can be passed from one generation to the next. And so to be able to identify that and come with a body of believers and in, in some cases, a skilled therapist to be able to identify those things and direct them and experience Christ's redeeming work, it also passes those mm. redemptive qualities on from generation to generation. Oh, I like that, passing down the redemptive qualities. That is the shame. Th that'll preach. Come on, guys, you got to give God a praise for that. So that's the truth right there. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming and sharing. Uh, man, really, really appreciate you and just kind of the gift you are to our church and to our community. Thank you so much. Can we guys hear for Rebecca? She'll be back leading us in worship in a little bit. Um, I'm really grateful for Rebecca who can kind of share from her kind of mental health counseling background. And I want to encourage you, if, if you are struggling with shame, like you know that there's shame, there's hiddenness in your life, I want to give you some homework. Here's your homework to do this. Find three people in your life and share with them what you're ashamed about. Just share with them that. And, and you know what, three, I'll be honest, it's kind of a random number. I kind of got it because when Peter denied Jesus three times, you know, Jesus basically made him confess three times that he loved him to kind of combat the shame. And so maybe you need to find three people until you can honestly share, open your heart, share that shame so that you can be set free. And maybe one of them would be a skilled therapist. Uh, something that we just made available as a resource here is in the back, we actually have a City Lines Church counseling list. So on it, we have a, a list of, you know, do you, you know of, of things that maybe you should consider. Hey, do I need counseling? And we've got some reasons where you might want to think about it. And then we've got a couple counselor options. Um, most are virtual. 
Uh, we've got a couple that are in person in the area as well. So if, you, if you're considering it, praying about it, thinking I need to take some definitive steps forward, uh, we actually have a tool in the back that you can grab and see, all right, let me see if I can find uh, a counselor that can help me with that. You know, each counselor kind of has their kind of own way of, uh, you know, doing payment. They have sliding scales. Some take insurance. But I want to encourage you. Um, if there's some area in your life where you're struggling with shame or any kind of toxicity, there is victory that happens through the cross, and a skilled counselor can actually help you walk through that and find that. So I want to make sure that you know about that step. Because, listen, if we want to break out of the power of shame, we need courageous connection. We need to connect to the cloud, the great cloud of witnesses, both in the past, in the present, and also the ones that are about to come. But there's also a second step we see in the passage, and that's to connect to awareness connect to awareness. And Rebecca and I were kind of talking a little bit about that, but sometimes shame kind of lurks in the background. It's like kind of in the back of our operating system. And, you know, a lot of times so much of our behavior is actually driven by shame that we don't even see is happening. Uh, whether it's um, workaholism or, you know, you know greater, greater division, there's a story that shame has been writing in our lives that we've bought into uncritically. And we actually need to throw it off in order to fulfill the destiny that God has for us. I love what it says in Hebrews. It says this, throw off everything. Is it some things or what? Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Now, this word perseverance means practice. That's another way to put it. Keep going again and again and again. And I think when it comes to rooting out shame in our lives, it takes practice. It's not this kind of nebulous thing, but we can actually practice developing the awareness to actually counteract the shame that's in our lives. In fact, one way to do that is by keeping what's called a shame survey. Now, a shame survey is just simply having a note card, and you can take something like this, or you can do it on your phone, and just leave it by your computer, leave it by your nightstand, and literally just write down any time you feel shame. Because once you start to develop an awareness of shame— that has it as it's impacting you, it actually starts to lose power. I'm, I'm going to share you a couple things that I just wrote down just in a matter of like a few minutes <laughs> as I was kind of like just, you know, sitting at my desk. Things like this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not thoughtful enough. Uh, there's something wrong because I don't do enough to help around the house. Uh, I'm not getting enough done at the church. I must be a bad pastor. All of these things within a couple minutes can start to show up. And if we aren't growing and becoming awareness and persevering in that awareness, it can actually begin to actually dictate our lives. What we need to do is grow in our awareness and actually rewrite the stories with Scripture. In fact, one of my favorite Scriptures when it comes to rewriting the stories of shame is in 2 Corinthians. It says this, uh, he, he said to me, talking about Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made what? Perfect in weakness. So when I hear these stories or when shame kind of shows up again, I can rewrite it by saying this, like, listen, I may make mistakes, I may be thoughtless, but those are actions. I can actually grow and become better at loving people. You know, I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I actually want to learn from everyone. You know, I haven't been present with my kids today. I can change that tomorrow. I can choose to be present and make better choices. And you know what? For me as a pastor, this is Jesus' church. He's the one who's in charge here. My job, our staff's job, is just to be in step with him, and he will build his church. I just need to allow him to do it. See, shame tells these many stories that can kind of run amok. And if we aren't aware of it, it can actually be destructive. 
So as we're growing in our ability to kind of counteract shame, we need to connect to the cloud. We need to connect with other believers to help us be aware of our blind spots where we see shame at work. We need to connect to our awareness. We actually need to become more aware of what shame is doing because sometimes we don't see it. And if we grow in our awareness, it enables us to actually do the third one, which is this, is to connect to the cross. We actually need to take those shame stories and bring them to the cross of Jesus. This is my favorite part of this verse. Let's read this together. It says this. Go to the next verse here, guys. In fact, why don't we all say this together out loud? Ready? One loud voice. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, this is our God. You see, he wants us to get your eyes off of what you've done, uh, of how you see yourself, and get your eyes back on the cross. Because remember what the cross was, guys. You go to the next slide here. The cross was actually a torture device. When you're on the cross, it was to mean that you are to be filled with shame. Criminals were put on the cross. The worst of the worst offenders were put on the cross, and your Lord and Savior was nailed to this cross so that he would be a symbol of shame. But really what we know is he became our shame. Amen? He became shame so that you would no longer have to hold it. He became shame so that you could release it. He became shame. In fact, he didn't just become it. He scorned it. So every area of failure that you felt, every area of shame that you've experienced is on this cross. And that he is actually bringing destruction to. He wants to encourage you to move away. Move away from what you've done. Move away from the shameful stories. Move away from the way you see yourself. And look to the cross. Look to Christ. For what he's done for you is he's erased your shame and given you his righteousness. He's erased your mistakes and given you his perfection. He has erased your pain. He's erased your brokenness, and he's replaced it with his restoration and with his healing that comes from the cross. Amen? That's who our God is. Maybe you need a more practical example of how to do this. Maybe you need to have something like this, where you say, I am not, but because of Christ I am. Maybe you need to say to yourself, you know, I'm not horrible because of what I've done. Because of Christ, I am forgiven. Because of my sin, I'm not dirty. Because of Christ, I am pure, I'm clean. I am not unwanted, I am not unworthy, but because of Christ, I, have, I, I, I am made worthy. I, I am made whole, I am made to be loved. This is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Church, can we get excited about this? Can we give God a praise? He is worthy. It's on the cross and he's destroyed our shame. And we can hold our hands out and to receive that and to hold on to that and to celebrate that because of who he is. So you don't need to fix your eyes on shame. You don't need to fix your eyes on what you've done or, or how you see yourself or how you think you are. You can fix your eyes on the cross. And on the cross, you can receive the victory that he has for you. Now, as the worship team comes up, they're going to lead us into, into worship in a moment. But I know for some of you right now, Shame is screaming in your ears right now. You are coming up with all the reasons, but, but here's why I'm not worthy. But I've done this, or I've said this, or this is what's going on in my life. I just don't have this together. And what Jesus is saying to you right now is to stop. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect through what? Weakness. If you're weak, all you need to say is, Jesus, I'm weak. Can you fill me? Jesus, I'm weary. I can't do it anymore. 
Jesus, I've got my shame, and I'm being reminded of my shame. My ex reminds me of my shame. But Jesus, can you remind me of your glory? Because he's the God that takes our shame and he transforms it into his glory. He, he's the God that says, your pain no longer has to, has to hold you down, but I can take your pain and turn it into power. But it comes when we simply say, Jesus, I want to submit to you. I, I need to surrender it. And maybe there's some of you today that you're like, maybe you don't even have a relationship with Christ. Maybe you don't even have a relationship that erases the power of shame. And Jesus wants to rewrite your story today. And if you're here today and you want to say, Nathan, I, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus, I, I'd love to pray with you today. Let me do this. Let me bow our heads together. And if you are feeling just oppressed by the power of shame, and you literally are feeling it right now, and maybe you've never experienced or began a relationship with Jesus, where you've experienced Jesus reconciling you to God, your Heavenly Father to bring you home, Maybe you're struggling. Do I have meaning? Do I have purpose? Am I, worth, am I worthy? Jesus says you are worthy because of what I've done for you on the cross. And maybe you want to begin that relationship. Just pray this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. Just pray it with me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I let shame take me down roads and roots that I don't want to go down. Jesus, would you break the power of shame? Your word says that you've scorned shame on the cross, and I believe it. I choose to believe it this day. Would you help me embrace your will for my life, that you have more for me, that shame is a wall that you are dismantling so that I can live out of your plan, of your purpose. And I choose to follow you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.